0: Welcome to another ExCynic podcast uh, with myself, Christian Wolf, my co host, Christopher Baud. Hello and welcome. How you doing? I'm, I'm great, Baud. I think the whole Twitterverse is, is excited about this podcast. We tweeted it out uh, earlier and said, you know, about who's coming on and, and everything. And we got a couple of replies from one from Lawrence Donegan saying, Mr. Slump and Mr. 41410, question mark, Can I block podcast? question mark. Uh, Melbourne88 says expected listeners lower than average. <laughs> so, but <laughs> that's the kind of that, that's that, the enthusiasm out there for this pod.
1: That just shows that you're having an impact. Yeah. You're
0: it's better to be hated than ignored. Exactly. exactly. On the pod today, returning a triumphant return is uh, Alex Orans. How are you, Alex? I'm great.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Mr. 41410 um, returns. Is returns hopefully uh, as good as last time
0: absolutely yeah and the debut on the edge of the couch in person at least
3: it's uh, it's the daily records it's the clyde it's the man himself doogie right how are you doogie hello mr I'm slump good. yeah mr slump mr slump and mr what was it Four four two zero.
2: Four one four yeah. one zero. come on <laughs> four four Can't one take me for arson
0: wenger
3: fair enough fair enough no.
0: So we're going to, um, as we do, um, oh, I almost forgot Matt. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> He's taken half Man. a day off work and I almost forgot about him. Matt, Ryan, how are you doing, mate?
4: Uh, a little little despondent after the Indians last night, but uh, I've been cheered up by the fact that a uh, uh, Mr. Ronnie Daya led Valaranga uh, to a 3-0 win today oh. so he's, he's a little farther out of the uh, relegation zone so that cheered me up a little bit
0: The Norwegian Tactics and uh, Stats podcast is coming soon uh, as well <laughs> even more of a niche market um, so we're going to talk um, more as we try in depth about tactics, about stats as well, we're going to cover Celtic of course um, but also some of their recent games domestically in Europe and um, SPFL Premiership as a whole so far uh, in terms of tactical patterns, you know the most interesting—I use that term loosely—stats uh, as well, and also a little bit about um, Scotland at the end. So, Alex, since the since the last time you were here, you you did do um, did a, a review thing. of uh, or analysis yep. of uh, Rangers versus Celtic, and I think the reception to it was was. Universally great, lots of positive feedback, tons. I and mean, I think when you get positive feedback, you you should really, you know, you should celebrate it. So I just wanted you to like maybe read out some of the positive oh. feedbacks <laughs> about your article here. Just, fantastic. Just maybe just say but, um, who who was from and what they had to say about your article.
2: Fantastic. I'll I'll start from the top then, as Please. as as all greats do. Um, Donnie B ninety said, describing things that everyone that watched football knows, but like a wank, is a uh, yeah, <clears throat> that was a good one. I like that one. <laughs> Cardiff boy said, "Sorry, Alex, but that article is very poor, made up hipster nonsense." Absolutely. Yeah, I like that one. Harry Brady, see friend you, the pub, Harry oh, Brady. Of yeah. course, I'll use non-hipster chat, qualified or not. He's talking utter pish Um, right. I, was, I was quite pleased at that one. Uh, that it wasn't was bad. Good, Harry's polite. Another polite one is is Barso boy who Indeed. said he's, he it's said his his pretentious nonsense. Exactly. That's
0: Our smart. friend Lawrence Donigan again.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's awful—the worst kind of showing off, unintelligible, pretentious—and when all is said and done, wrong. And you're also a youth coach, uh, Alex. And
0: tell us what Chris M. Um, Eighteen Eighty Eight said about he had the some, article.
2: He had some lovely advice. No offense, mate, but I would pursue—I would pursue the coaching thing, which is quite a positive review, yeah, I'd say. Yeah.
0: yeah. How about um, some of the last ones? Some of the other
2: reactions to your piece. Um, we've got your, we've got McGinley boy, 180 said put down put the glass down, pal. You've clearly had enough to drink. Which you know that was you always need to stay in touch with your roots. And the time alloys said, well that's a pile of dog shit. A bit less polite, maybe. But, yeah, yeah, that's a bit straight to the point. All I always... think we can end on a positive one. Yeah, I mean, and I got a, I got a nice wee utter pish wee fella from Cloggy boy, <laughs> so. I'm a fella, and I'm wee, and I wrote utter pish. So exactly, fantastic. and
0: and and also Dougie was mentioned there as well, wasn't it?
2: At the end. Yeah. So this bollocks
3: is up there with Dougie Wright and his Celtic in a slump gibberish from last season. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, exactly. fantastic. But um,
0: we, we did get some positive uh, reviews that you know that Matt was going to be on the pod because he is universally liked. He's also six foot seven and built as a house, so you don't want to mess with it. Anyway, But in terms of your article, Alex, it, it did cause quite a stir in terms of um, the Celtic and Rangers game. Um, and maybe, first of all, <laughs> we're talking a little bit of the hips and nonsense there as well. Um, I guess you two guys, you write for very different publications, if I can say that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce it. Alex, you write mostly for, for Spear, Val Aguilon. That's
2: that's almost um, For Spielfelagerung Okay, which is
0: A very niche Or at least a well-respected niche Tactical theory website. Certainly
2: Yeah, that's probably the best way Probably the best way to describe it Yeah Uh
0: And I presume Like the terminology you use and stuff Will maybe be slightly different than what Dougie's readership and The Daily Record And and the Clyde's No disrespect to to Dougie and his (laughs) listeners and,
2: And uh and his uh, readers. No, cer certainly. Um, I think that when you in different situations, you have to use, or it's beneficial to use different types of language. So, you know, you would speak to your boss differently as you would speak to your pal. You'd speak to, um, you'd speak to your nan differently as you'd speak to um, to your bird and all that type of stuff. And when it comes to tactical analysis, sometimes you have to use tactical analysis language to most accurately convey across what you're saying. Sometimes just using words that, are, that float around the normal footballing lexicon. Um, sometimes using those words doesn't quite accurately portray what you're trying to say. I, I guess the analogy is, is probably
0: that of a medical journal. So you wouldn't, you know, in, in an academic paper, you would use certain terms and certain language... Because that's the norm and that's the re- leadership yeah, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, obviously you you write for a tablet paper um, and for Radio Clyde. Is that something you're quite aware of when you're talking about tactics and analysis in general? Yeah. How you break it down from you know the theory into something that's maybe a bit easier digestible.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, when I first started writing for Daily Record, um, Clyde One they kind of said to me this sort of stuff hasn't hasn't become mainstream yet so maybe just be a bit careful with how you're explaining things keep it keep everything nice short and simple and make sure like I mean I suppose it's one of these things if you you try and do it as if you're trying to explain it to your gran right not that I'm trying to explain like half spaces and pressing to my gran for a thing but yeah that's that's the idea just to make it as easy easily digestible as possible
0: that's your Christmas dinner uh, conversation sorted <laughs> <Boogie>. <laughs> the half space so I, I think before we maybe go into a little bit of you both wrote a piece about the Rangers and Celtic game um, Matt if we go to look at the stats side from that game because always when there was a big discussion around it the days before at least we get our data from from Strat a bit but I think what came back is at least in terms of expected goals from that game it's probably what we us two expected wouldn't you say?
4: Yeah, you know, and and to kind of, before I talk about the expected goal numbers, I just wanted to mention about Alex's article, um, you know, I watched the games, I watched Celtic games at a supporters club here in Cleveland, and after that first half, um, talking, you know, there's really not a lot of other guys there that uh, are into stats and even into tactics like Alex and Dougie are, um, but, you know, just talking to them, they it, they weren't, confident after that first half performance by Celtic you know a lot are saying okay we need to make a change somewhere in the midfield you know uh, Rangers is able to disrupt Celtic this first half and you do something um, so I think the result kind of skewed a lot of people's opinions on it because that first half I don't think it was it was comfortable by any means for Celtic Um So and then what Alex basically said in the article is, you know, Celtic wasn't at their best. Rangers did a lot of things to to frustrate Celtic. But Celtic was still good enough to to get the victory. And I think that's you know, what a lot of people are missing. He's not saying Rangers was the better team in that article. He's not saying that, you know, Celtic isn't any good. He's not saying Celtic are in a slump. No offense, Doogie. Uh, but, <laughs> That's a good But, lie. you know, he's just saying that, you know, maybe Rangers did some things that other teams can do to try and frustrate Celtic successfully. But uh, looking at the stats, so for the first half, uh, it was 0.71 to 0.32 in expected goals in favor of Celtic uh, Celtic. Something I noticed looking at the stats only had one shot with an expected goals greater than uh, 0.1. So the Rangers, you know, allowed a lot of shots, but they didn't allow Celtic to have a lot of good quality shots. Uh, the second half was a lot better for Celtic. The final expected goal total was uh, 1.56 to 1.10 in favor of Celtic. And when I, uh, looked at those numbers I put them through each shot the expected goal value for each shot through uh, there's a analyst on a Twitter Danny Page he's also American and he has a expected goal simulator where you can put each shot through a simulation and it'll give you a percentage based on those numbers how often each team would win so I did that for with these expected goal numbers and I found that uh, Celtic would win 48.19 percent of the time it'd be a draw 26.95 percent of the time and Rangers would win 24.85% of the time. So, you know, as I said, it was, it, it was a comfortable Celtic win, but it wasn't, you know, a dominant performance that people seem to be putting
0: forth on Twitter. So, Christopher, about, I mean, you're not only a real football man, you're a real man in, in every sense of the word. But you know when you watch a, a game, when you watch your team in a game, uh, especially when you, you watch it against the biggest rivals, I don't think anybody expects you to be rational and analytic and say, ah, well, you know, it's a good work in the half space and so on. Do you think though, if you try and, you know, after the game and so on and try and analyse it, is it easier to maybe over-exaggerate when it comes to
1: Celtic versus Rangers in terms of how dominant you were and and, and so on? Yeah, I think think hindsight is a a wonderful thing. Um, Now, I'm not, you know, as tactically literate as anyone in this room or, or, or as Martin Skype but um, I think if Celtic fans watching the game during the first half said they had no fear they were absolutely confident we were romping it that's a little disingenuous now at the end of the game obviously you're once we'd got to that point we'd won the game and as you said in the second half it, it became a, a different thing yes that's easy to say um, I think Reading the, the article, Chai again again, um, it's not necessarily language that I would use day to day. I maybe came away from it feeling that Alex had over-egged how good Rangers were, but I understand that was the focus of the article. I mean, that's where the interest lies in writing an article like that. This is, um, you know, it, it, people feel it was a, a dominant Celtic performance, but actually we can take away, this is why it didn't quite go to plan in the first yeah. half the week, should have.
0: So so, so let go, let's go into Alex's main point, because I think you were saying that the way the Rangers were set up defensively, at least maybe the first 60 minutes, is where they tried to occupy the centre and, yep. and not cede any space in the centre to, to Celtic. Could be maybe something of a, a, a blueprint for other teams that face Celtic domestically. You maybe want to... Like the, the main gist of the article and how you saw it from that point of view.
2: Yeah, so... it's. It's not really a a new thing. This uh, this Celtic team, as dominant as they have been domestically, and as as good as some of the results have been in Europe, this Celtic team have they have a few they have a few characteristics which are maybe we could call them weaknesses. Even maybe just, just areas of areas where they aren't mm-hmm. yeah areas of improvement. Let's go for that. Um, and one of those is particularly. How they play, how they try to play through the middle. So I think I, I might have mentioned it in the in the last pod actually. A lot of their a lot of the good work that they've done domestically has been around um, pulling open midfield man marking and actually taking taking opposition players out of the middle and then filling that gap with guys like Sinclair and Griffiths and Dembele and Roberts and whoever. And these those guys can just go at that space all day long. So what Rangers did. And we then saw later on with, with Hebs um, What Rangers did is they said Right, okay, well, you guys can make those moves out of the middle Okay, and we're just going to stay here and keep compact And you're not going to be able to play through the middle Because we're not going to let you And they did it in different ways So Rangers, they did it with their, with their bank of four um, Sometimes turning into a central midfield three Depending on what Candias was doing and what Peña was doing as well um, but however they managed to do it Celtic really weren't able to to go through the middle now the great thing about this Celtic team and the reason why they've, they've been so dominant domestically is that isn't the only thing that they need they have guys who are superb at 1v1 so on the right you've got Patrick Roberts who's obviously returned and he gives a whole new dimension to that to that team um, especially when they can't break through the middle or they can't just burst through the left-hand side with Armstrong and Sinclair and Tierney and uh, Griffiths moving across. Um, Roberts gives that that extra wee attacking punch on the, on the right-hand side.
0: Because you were almost... Oh, you were comparing it in a way to basketball. So essentially, if a team against um, Celtic occupy the middle with a lot of players, Celtic can almost lean that way and then clear space... To give to switch it and then clear space for for Patrick Roberts to to go one on one because he is so good one on yeah, one. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. Now, I'm no, I'm no uh, basketball aficionado, but we do have one on the pod. We'll come back to that, Matt. <laughs> um, <laughs> Matt. Matt will no doubt be able to correct me here, but I'm sure that the Houston Rockets last year used a lot of uh, isolation plays with James Harden. Where they would just basically clear the floor for them, uh, pull all their pull all their other players to the outside, and just let James Harden go go one v one, and just try to break through that way. Uh, maybe the team's wrong, maybe the the players wrong, but I, it's certainly a, a tactic which is used in basketball anyway. Dougie,
0: what was your impression at least over the first half and how ranges? Try to set up, and if how successful you think they were. Because when Alex's article came out, a lot of people said, "Well, Celtic did have chances, and they did have some space in the middle, and they did they did come close a few times." Yeah, um, and do you get obviously, th- lesser so ones. You're very much not a Celtic fan.
3: <laughs> yeah, although I ended up in the Celtic game for that game, funny enough. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, first half, I think that. I mean, obviously in football, you've got your defensive shape, you've got your attacking shape, and your transitions in between, moving between the two. Now, Rangers had, as Alex said, a very tight defensive shape. They stayed in their own half, um, clogged up the centre. But that meant that going forward, Rangers really couldn't do anything. There was a few occasions where, I think there was one particular in the first half when Kendaas broke on the right, and there was a loose ball in the edge of the area, and there was just no, nobody from the Rangers midfield coming through. So, yeah, Rangers did... Um, commit a lot defensively and stop Celtic I mean the thing I talked about in my article was I could understand why Cazinha wanted to do that after the 5-1 game um, last season didn't want another humiliation so kind of thought I I think he might have been thinking to himself okay if we lose this 2-0 then it's not ideal but I'll still be in a job on Monday so yeah
0: it's the safe option
3: the safe option, yeah, exactly. I think he was looking for... Remember the League Cup semi-final at Hamden a couple of years ago? Um, Rangers put Celtic out in penalties. And that was that was a dominant Celtic performance. But <laughs> just somehow Rangers sneaked the win through the luck of the, the... The rub of the green. That was the expression I was looking for. I think he was wanting something like that.
0: Matt, obviously the Belfast is maybe more comfortable in, in, in terms of the numbers and the, the stats. But what were your take on 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 Celtic and Rangers, at least the first half, because even though it was quite early morning for you in Cleveland, is um, was it, were you nervy the first half or did you think this is something that Celtic controlled, even though Rangers were quite compact?
4: Yeah, I thought, I mean, I didn't think Rangers really had that many opportunities to attack. Uh, I, I can't remember if that, I don't know if this was what Dewey was talking about, but the, the cross where Morelos had, a basically had a chance to, uh, put in the ball, but, or he, he had a ball put into him, but he missed it on a cross right by the goal. I'm um, not that? sure if that's what Dewey was talking about, but that was really the only chance in the first half that I think Rangers threatened Celtic. But it just seemed like Celtic couldn't break down. Um, Rangers couldn't get good shots in the box. They were, you know, trying to, shoot a lot outside the box so as i said uh my my council of of old scottish and irish guys were were very worried at the cleveland celtic supporters club in the first half you know frustrated and and you know thinking that celtic need to do something need to make a change at half in order to break down uh rangers better
0: so i mean alex in terms of a if we called it a blueprint, and how do you face such a good Celtic side uh, when you are a team of, of lesser quality, like all other teams in Scotland would be? Obviously, as as you say here, you know, would you say that the key would then be to try and stay compact? But because Celtic are so good, usually they'll drag you out of position or they'll find a one-to-one and find something individual brilliance. But I also think both of you kind of identified one certain player who can <laughs> help Celtic do that
2: and who you both are quite a big fan of um, so yeah the just what you're touching on there the so the, the blueprint which I alluded to basically revolves around some some variation of, uh, of man marking, of man marking in the middle. Now, that's not something I think I touched on in the, ar- in the article. That's not something which I'd usually say, well, oh, you, sh- you should be going for man marking, man marking all the time. Because some
0: people, some teams have tried that against Celtic. I think it's was yeah. Califistle yeah. last year and they just got tore
2: apart. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it's, again, for the most part, Celtic have maybe two or three things which they will do. Um, Which they will do to generally try to just destroy teams, which which man mark them, and that got them through last season so so well. What I think, what I've seen anyway from the from the Rangers game and from I I mentioned what game I mentioned the Hibs game as well. For what I've seen from both of those games is that there is starting to develop a secondary approach, a way to maintain the the quote-unquote good things about man-marking whilst also managing to to limit Celtic's ability to destroy that. So <clears throat> with, um, with the way the Rangers did it, they would have their... If the ball moved over to one side, their two central midfielders would go over and they would man-mark over quite heavily on that side. And then the far side winger, so if the ball moved to Celtic's left it would be Josh Winda's would move in and he would then move in and he would mark someone in the centre. So there wasn't that big, massive space on the far side of centre. Um, what Hibbs kind of did, they kind of did something similar. They obviously set up in a, in a midfield diamond. They man-marked uh, who was playing. It was Rogic, Brown and McGregor. and Dylan McGeek sort of acting as a huge... Oh, sorry, it wasn't Brown, it was in Cham. Mm-hmm. It was Cham. Um, Zilmigeak would kind of mark Cham and then he would maybe jump onto Bayata. and then the way that they did it is they would then have John McGinn sometimes stepping up from marking Rogic to then jumping onto Cham and John McGinn is yeah. the player who presses who presses very well yeah. he's got really good timing He's you know, he generally he's good at intercepting, he's good at blocking things at close ranges so when he jumps out onto Cham and Cham tries to turn he's just got John McGinn right in on him so that's a that's a, an avenue which maybe could be used by my other teams to um, to disrupt Celtic, as you say it. But but do you also Celtic cast his arsenal
0: of 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 different players and different qualities? But I think as, as I alluded to there, both of you mentioned Callum McGregor as that he has to maybe the, the capabilities of doing something specifically to unlock. Um, those kind of compact defences because I think probably a lot of maybe maybe like describe Cal McGregor McGregor as a bit of a hipster's favourite and a a tactical analysis guy favourite because of the qualities he might have can you just tell me what you like about McGregor how and how you see him maybe unlocking those um, compact defences and what does he have that maybe some of the other Celtic players don't have
3: personally I see Cal McGregor as As a very explosive player He comes into the ball at speed From depth He times his runs really, really well And he's a a two-touch player He's a two-touch finisher You always notice If he gets the ball in about the penalty box It's one touch to set himself The other, bam Bottom corner Very, very composed Um, Excellent close control of the ball and as we're talking about Celtic are in these games against teams who make the centre off stuffy and difficult to play through he's the guy that's going to find these little pockets of space and play a couple of take a couple of touches and play a through ball stick in the bottom corner whatever he's the man to get you out of these situations It's just such a shame he was
0: unavailable for Scotland over the last few games Yeah He could have been the difference but there you go Matt, in terms of um, Alex mentioned the, the the Hibernian game there as well, which is quite unique in a in a stats way for Celtic over the last couple of seasons at least.
4: Yeah, it was actually uh, the first game that Celtic had a lower expected goals than their opponent, where their opponent did not get a penalty. So the, I believe a couple of games last year they had uh, expected goals lower than uh, their opponent, but they obviously drew those games and they. Um, the only reason the other team had a higher expected goals is because they had a penalty during the game. Hibbs uh, just didn't have a penalty, but still is the first team in two years to, to have a higher expected goals. Their expected goals was uh, 1.4 to Celtics' 1.25. So um, I think it's really interesting that uh, Hibbs kind of basically did some similar stuff to Rangers, uh, and it seemed like it, it, it did work in frustrating Celtic in when uh, they were able to uh, get the draw at Celtic Park.
0: And also, I think we had one of the highest expected goals shots in the league in a while that wasn't scored, which is uh, Alex is pointing at a big round dot on my uh, on my XG, XG j- game map here, which is almost taking up the whole six yard boxes for, for <laughs> Greg Gordon's quite, quite stunning save uh, on there. Um, maybe like quickly in terms of... Rangers there because we, we talked a little bit in, in terms of Chechenia's tactics and, and so on. Ndugi, obviously, you're definitely not a Celtic fan. I'll, I'll leave that out there. In terms of how do you see that team progressing under Pedro compared to what they were like under Warburton? Maybe in Woburton's first season as well when the Rangers were better but also since he took over, do you see
3: any specific evolution or a specific plan there still yeah um there's been i guess last season under warburton uh, rangers started off a awkward team unsure how to play against um scottish premiership teams and l- dropped a lot of points that they probably shouldn't have despite largely dominating games i think there's one point in september september october last year where they took about 50 shots and they couldn't score a goal which is just mental. So, yeah, Casinha's team is a bit more efficient, it's a bit more ruthless, it's not as naive in possession, it doesn't just tippy-tappy the ball about, but then, Pedro is a guy who takes a lot of heat off the media for saying things in press conferences that maybe come across as a bit sort of silly or misinterpreted. Now, while I'm sure I think the message is is right, the message is there, but if he's having that difficulty communicating to um, your average guy, then, can we be confident he's communicating to the players effectively? So it's all very well having the right message, but how well you can communicate it is vital, and I'm not entirely sure he's doing that successfully so far.
0: I mean, Alex, you've been complimented on communicating tactics really simple and really effectively. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. do, do you think, when does that become... Because we were talking about this in, in terms of response to your article. Now, I wouldn't, ex- I would expect a top-level manager to be able to engage with that and use those kind of terms in certain settings... But he would. Well, I, was, I would think he would never go out and actually talk like that to his players on the field. And I mean, you're a coach as well. How is that one of the where many coaches maybe fall down? That they're not really able to express these complex theoretical ideas into something really simple and, and graspable for the players.
2: Again, it comes down to a comes down to a case of of language. Again, the the language which um, with which uh a coach talks to another coach or an analyst talks to another analyst is different from the language used when a, a coach talks to a player or even when a, when a coach talks to a player in a video session from when a coach talks to a player on the pitch is different from the language that players use with each other on the pitch. So with that, you also have to add in at the, at the top end, you also, also have to add in the language with which the coach talks to the media. Mm-hmm. So I think this is maybe the the area in which Pedro Caixinha hasn't helped himself yeah. especially in in the in the Scottish media which seems to be quite reluctant to to actually grasp what he's saying and, and rather because you, you did a video when he had these
0: um, when he was talking about these three different lines yeah um, and if you look at a press conference you can go yeah I'm not quite sure what, you, what you're talking about here but I think you did a video is on your Twitter feed just Showing you quite simply what he meant yeah. and what he—it's—I mean, her, his concept is quite simple. When you have somebody like that to visualize it, do you think that's something that is reflected on the training pitch as well? That he may be not able to communicate that completely to all his players, and also, I mean, as you know, Emboweld and, and, and Matt and myself—we've kind of been here before in terms of Ronnie Diala. In terms of what's that guy who managed to actually communicate his ideas properly? And there was always that little suspicion is there something, is there more reluctance from the Scottish and the British players and maybe the older players to, to embrace those kind of ideas. What, what's your take on that, Dougie?
3: Well, Pedro casinha will go into Ochenhawe at six o'clock in the morning and he'll stay until about six o'clock in the evening. He's been there for, what, six months now? Six, seven months, something like that. So it's a hell of a lot of work that he's put into there. You're certainly not seeing that work reflected in the pitch in terms of a fluent playing model. There's just... Moments of hesitance with players not being totally prepared to receive a ball, their body position not being right, or maybe they're a few yards away from what they should be. So I know he says that he does, never does the same training exercise twice, but you're starting to wonder now. It's all very well and good being this um, innovative manager and whatever, but if you can't get these principles of play how you want your team to play to your players, then ultimately game's of bogey. am
0: Matt, I mean, in terms of if you look at expected goals difference, Rangers is kind of where you expect they're third in the league. Um, fair bit behind Aberdeen, just above Hibernian in terms of expected goals. In terms of comparison to, to Warburton and, and Chichinian, is there any is there any specific is there any specific improvement on him when you look at the actual stats?
4: So there's a slight improvement on the uh, attacking end when we look at uh, Rangers' expected goals per game with Warburton. Compared to with uh, uh it's a little bit higher. Uh, it was 1.51 per game with Warburton and under Pedro, it's uh, 1.62. Uh, on the other side of the ball, uh, defending, it's nearly identical. Uh, for under Warburton, it was 1.09 and uh Cuxenia 1.08. Uh, but it's interesting comparing their goals for ge- goals scored per game. Uh, it's much higher under Pedro. It's it's around 2.13, where it was about 1.47 for Warburton. I think that has a lot to do with just uh, there. There's a lot better quality striker at at Rangers now. I think Morelos has been really good in his time with Rangers thus far. He maybe has overachieved a little bit, but just compared to what was there before with uh, um, with a uh, guy was the guy's name the
0: the guy who got into a fight with a kid Joey, the,
3: Gardner. Uh, Joey Gardner eating a pie Kung Fu kicked a Christmas tree standard <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah I mean that, that's 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 what stats can tell you that you know, Waghorn was wasn't that made. good that, that's <laughs> why we have stats I think because otherwise we just wouldn't have you wouldn't
1: be able to watch it and say Waghorn's a bit shit. <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> <laughs> so if we maybe uh, and i I use this term deliberately pivot uh, maybe over to 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 celtic's um European front now and we we kind of had this discussion before as well, but it must be so difficult for a celtic team thats we talked about is so dominant and needs to play in a certain way in the league to break teams down when they suddenly face a team that's a lot better than them in so Barcelona last year. PSG this time I mean Alex how do you how do you even start preparing tactically in the domestic game for meeting somebody who is a high, of much higher quality than you in the European game. C- can you do anything domestically?
2: Obviously the, the challenge is, is a much different one. It's a completely different challenge um, Going to going to Paris or going to Munich or when PSG came to came to Glasgow, obviously it's a completely different challenge from almost anything they're going to get on these shores. Um, but really, if you're looking at things which Celtic could do to to improve their chances, then domestically all they can really do is refine the game model they already have and try to make sure that that is as good as it as as good as it can be. Um, on the continent, they're going to they're going to need to control counter attacks really really well, and that's something you can do domestically. And they do a pretty good job of that. We spoke about Rangers game to death, obviously already, but something that something that they did reasonably well there. They seem to be quite well set up when it comes to defending against counter attacks. Um, obviously, I've spoken already before about the about the issues they have when trying to play through the center of the pitch. Yeah. Now once you get to europe that's that becomes a whole different ball game because you need to take every every little affordance that our team gives you so it's all fine and well having to go out to the wing and then try to deal with them with the oppositions they come to press you but if they leave a space in the middle you need to be able to go for it and and kill them because you might not get any other any other chance to do so and just such as the the level of opposition they play against obviously Patrick Roberts 1v1 try to use that as much as you can um, but again the level fullback that he's coming up against he's came up against um, Kurzawa yeah. um, at Celtic Park against PSG and don't think he had the the most joy um, and then their, their pressing game as well just make sure that that's as coordinated as it, as it can be as, as tight as it can be um, that everyone really understands exactly where they need to be and what they need to what they need to give and what they need to take away. Because cause it's one thing for Celtic
0: to try and press in Europe, maybe have to press domestically for themselves. Because obviously you, you you're pressing against a much <laughs> higher opposition uh, quality of opposition. But also mm. the other way, in terms of when Celtic get pressed domestically, they're pretty comfortable in, in playing themselves out of it. Whereas mm-hmm. I think, especially the game I remember last season in Champions League against mentioned Mönchengladbach at home, where they just could not get out. And Gladbach was probably better than the sums of their part as well mm-hmm. to do that. So, so how, again, how would you expect Celtic to set up? How would you expect them, especially in the next two coming games against Bayern Munich home in a way, do they sit deep which they've done before against PhD and, and Barcelona and get punished for it or did you just maybe maybe a little bit more adventurous and just play to their strengths or what they are used to domestically mm-hmm.
3: well I think that this is potentially the best and worst time to play Bayern Munich just now yeah. because they've been a very awkward confused team so far this season and obviously Ancelotti's um, been fired totally playing Thiago wrong using him as a defensive mid when his speciality he's like a rich man's Callum McGregor but further up the pitch just a few touches do you like that? Rich man's Callum McGregor um, Poor man's Callum McGregor more like <laughs> <laughs> right. that's true however yeah they've got Yut Pinkus back one of the most legendary coaches <laughs> in their history who got them to the domestic treble a few years ago with many of the same players so um, I think the Celtic game will be his second game back as Bayern coach you'll see from that how he's looking to change things about in this Bayern Munich team but I would say German teams, especially Bayern are known for their rapid counter attacks and being able to find pinpoint balls to these um, areas in behind the fullbacks. I think Celtic were going to need to sacrifice the attacking threat that Kieran Tierney and to a lesser extent Michael Lustig will provide and just sit a little bit deeper and Use Lee Griffiths the best that you can. Well, that's an interesting point.
0: And before we go to Matt in terms of looking at expected goals in Europe, um, we have a question from Paul McTaggart uh, at PHM77 on, on Twitter, and he's saying, "Do we expect Griffiths to lead the line against Bayern, and is he a better option than Dembele in games where we don't dominate the ball?" I was, I was being Celtic. I know Alex, you've, you've touched upon Griffiths and Dembele and how they operate in Europe differently. I mean, first of all, who who would you choose against Bayern Munich if if both players are, are fit? And do you see an improvement in Griffiths in in in, in Europe? Well,
2: to the first question, who would I pick? Oh, I I have no idea. <laughs> I've I I've no, no idea who I'd pick. Um, but with with Griffiths, he does offer a slightly different skill set from Dembele. Um, I think Dembele has. <laughs> I think Dembele is maybe a bit stronger in his play Uh, Close to the midfield I think his link-up play is a wee bit better That's not to say that Griffiths is bad in any way I think that um, he's certainly come on a great deal And maybe hasn't given the credit he deserves in that respect But Griffiths, when you think of Lee Griffiths You think of all the runs he makes in behind the defence And the job that he does in stretching opposition defences And how he gives that outlet for maybe if things aren't going so well in Celtic's short game from the back that he gives them that option to go try to go in behind immediately um, so in Europe he's going to come up against far superior centre backs yeah. and he's playing against domestically who competent ones will just be able to eat up anything that goes in towards him and maybe then his best chance is to try and hold things up and again his, his hold up play isn't really given the credit it's it's due but um, but I don't know I mean it's, 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 it's
0: a tough one yeah? a year ago it wouldn't be much of a question who you start in year Dembele or, or Griffiths so obviously there's been injuries with Dembele but it's, it's a testament to how far Griffiths has come in a year and also maybe he's, in, in that year he's, he's definitely increased his role with, with Scotland as well where he does usually face maybe slightly better teams as well
3: yeah mm. Yeah, um will credit to Griffiths. I think the goal he scored against Slovenia for Scotland last week is sort of typical Griffiths, a half chance and finds that yard of space in the penalty box and all of a sudden Scotland are 1-0 up and going to the World Cup playoffs and, God, let's not talk about what happened after that. But, yeah, I think that if you look at um, Dembele, his strength um, in that sort of European context, when you look at him last season against Manchester City, putting put in some fantastic performances over the two games but actually if you look to the league cup no Scottish cup semi-final against Rangers at Hamden there's a typical this is an underappreciated aspect of Dembele's game and Alex touched on it there his hold up play there's this big long nothing ball over the top from was it Lustig? I'm sure it was Lustig right long yep. ball over the top to um, Dembele and just takes a most majestic touch back to Callum McGregor, who finds a space and puts Celtic 1-0 up, that's an exceptional bit of hold-up play. And if he can do that against Bayern Munich, a team who probably will like to push up up the park and dominate possession and territory, then Celtic could be onto something.
0: Matt, in the group stages last year, um, it took until the last game before Celtic outperformed one of the teams and, and expected goals. Um, although overall, in, in last year's group stages... Celtic actually if you look at expected goals they were quite unlucky Um, you know overall they had an expected goal difference of minus 5.8 the actual goal difference was minus 12 some of that is is meeting Barcelona because Barcelona and especially Messi just outperform expected goals as you would expect them to but even if you take away um, the Barcelona first game against Barcelona they had expected goal difference of 1.6 where the actual goal difference was minus 5 so even even that you can see, whereas, and it maybe comes back to not it being able to be ruthless enough and meeting better strikers in Europe. But Celtic was definitely almost a little bit unlucky, even though it's a small sample in terms of of, of last season. This is Matt I guess, at least in in terms of the game against Anderlecht, which was one that Celtic, you know, won in terms of expected goals. But maybe it wasn't a three 0 victory as such. They were, they were quite effective, weren't they?
4: Yeah, and they were really effective in limiting Anderlecht to uh, bad shots. So the expected goals for that game was Celtic 0.98, Anderlecht 0.74. And I kind of talked about before the match, I had written about how Anderlecht had maybe been a little unlucky in the Belgian league to be in the position that they were. They they had the best expected goal difference in the league, but were in the middle of the table, uh, manager fired, and... They, they certainly seemed like a team that could break out at any time, kind of regress positively towards the mean. But Celtic was really good in keeping them at bay. Um, and Anderlecht outshot Celtic, but as I said before, Celtic had a higher expected goal total. And all of Celtic's goals were pretty good quality shots, uh, all of them had a high, expected goals higher than 0.1. Uh, two of them had a, expected goals higher than 0.2. So all three of Celtics' goals were really good goals. They were really good chances, and they did really well to limit Anderlecht to bad chances. Now, in games against PSG, you know, it was, it was Celtic deserved. Maybe not didn't deserve to win by or lose by such a bad uh, high margin, but they definitely deserved to lose. But it, it kind of was a similar expected goal total to the famous two-one uh, Tony Watt game against Barcelona, and it just kind of shows in those games. You know, Celtic kind of needs something to break their way, either a guy like Fraser Forster to stand on his head and make some amazing saves, and and have an 18-year-old kid score uh, an amazing winning goal. Um, but but against where the uh, against a team like PSG or Barcelona or anyone like that, they're going to need to to maybe get a few breaks, bounce their way. Um, I actually looked into. Byron's stats a little bit and they're kind of in, in a similar position as Anderlecht maybe not as bad but as, as you guys are saying they, they haven't started their season out great uh, new coach there and you know they definitely they, they have the second best expected goal difference in the league. The, Dortmund is, has the best expected goal difference uh, as you'd expect Byron's attack, attacking expected goal numbers are really good uh, averaging over two expected goals per game but their defense might be an opportunity that Excuse me, Celtic can expose uh, the their expected goals against in the Bundesliga so far is uh, seventh best in the league. So, you know, I think as you guys said, this is probably the best opportunity that Celtic's going to have uh, playing a team the size of Bayern Munich.
0: And, and as you mentioned it there, um, Matt as well. I mean, in terms of the B- PSG game, the PSG expected goals were two point sixteen if if you don't include a penalty, and Celtics were zero point seven six. So, there's the difference about 1.3, 1.4 expected goals. So, again, you see a team in PSG that's specific, uh, really, really ruthless. But also, as we maybe talked about before, one or two questions around Craig Gordon as well in, in, in terms of his his performances in Europe. Um, Christopher, about in terms of, at least with Anderlecht, Celtic have, in this Champions League group stages, finally a team where they can maybe play the way they play domestically more, even though Anderlecht was probably... You know, give them a good run for the league title in Scotland. It's it's a totally different opponent than they had in any of the group stages last
1: season. Yeah, certainly. I mean, <laughs> as we've said, I mean, and are not playing to their full potential, yeah. and a, 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 their performances are maybe lacking a little bit of luck this season. But absolutely, we're. You know, if you if you looked at player to player, um, I don't think uh, you'd be taking a huge number of Andalite players into your first team for Celtic. Not to say you would take any, but um, so it is a as a team that we can we can certainly compete with, um, but you know, Celtic as a Celtic fan, uh, looking at it logically, we know that PSG and Bayern Munich should be beating Celtic home the way. But as a Celtic fan, you look okay. at it and you think. A, any team at Parkhead uh, can at least, beat us five 0 no. at, <laughs> <laughs>
0: at least they give Celtic an opportunity to play in their strength, and I mean, in, in terms
1: of attack, yeah. I mean, it's a problem Celtic have had. Um, well, I was going to say forever, not maybe, maybe not forever, but for as long as uh, uh, the Champions League's existed, we play one way domestically. Do you then change that for Europe, which means your players? aren't you particularly used to that system and aren't going to be as effective in that more defensive system or do you play your usual attacking style and let you know Neymar and Messi run riot as you press forward um, and the I've, answer's probably somewhere right yeah. there
0: I was looking at the individual stats for the group stages last season today and in terms of expected goals, Marcel Dembele was, was top at 2.21 expected goals over those six games, um, he played almost all the minutes but after that, the next player with expected goals was Scott Sinclair with zero point five three. <laughs> Number three in expected goals for 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 Celtic in in the group stages last season. Do you know who that was? In total, expected goals over all six games. And this kind of tells you how little Celtic was uh, able to uh, attack. And the fact you're saying it tells that story is making me think it's going to be. It's it's it's, it's Gary McKay steven <laughs> who in, uh, in 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 less than a full game against City got zero point four seven expected goals, um, but Bring that kind of tells home. you something. Bring, Bring him home because <laughs> that was the game that you know suddenly were able to attack more than anything. But yeah, no, it'll, it'll be interesting in terms of of the Bayern Munich games, um, which we'll talk about a lot here at the at the ninety billion cynics over yeah. the next few weeks as well. So I wanted to turn maybe over to. SPVFL Premiership in general this season so we eight games in and do you right as, as the forefront Premiership <laughs> analyst uh, out there at the moment in terms of your well, the tactical sides in terms of the tactical trends the tactical patterns in the, in the Premiership so far do you see any surprises from any of the teams or do you see any specific? you know league patterns as such in in terms
3: of what was a tactical what's a standard tactical approach in, in the premiership i think you're seeing this season um, teams becoming a lot more fluid in the game they're sort of appreciating a lot more even last season i think you're seeing a lot of bog standards just basic tactics and four five one four four two and it was the same in defense it was an attack and whatever whereas this season you're seeing a lot more i think a lot of people have do you not notice how so many teams have jumped on the Antonio Conte three at the back bandwagon <laughs> <laughs> since last season? And now up here, you're seeing that as well. Um, Partick will do it quite well, um, particularly. But I think even Rangers have dabbled with it at times. I know Celtic doing their um, attacking play. Hibernian. So yeah, Hibs too. So I'd say that's that's coming into it. Um, but it's it's mostly the same sort of managers this last season, isn't it? Yeah. So um, yeah, plus Sachons. Alex,
0: from your point of view, in terms of what kind of league is the premiership, tactically, if if you
2: can classify it like that? I would say... It's still maybe got a few years of catching up to do. Um, But the fact that it does what most leagues will do and it will embrace tactical trends... Um, if I use the word tactical there quite loosely again, just as Doug alluded to there, um, I'm pretty sure every league in the world has got a has got a team which has started to play three at the back or five three two or some variant. I know in Russia in the last few years, just almost every team and their dog has started playing five three two. Um, but I think there's still <coughs> there's still maybe maybe a wee ways to go in terms of how teams look to implement that. Um, so I've, I've only seen... I try to watch as many Celtic games as I can, and, and outside of that I've only seen maybe one or two. Um, but they don't make for for great viewing, as it were. Um, I think I was watching... Well, I watched the, the Partick Thistle Rangers game uh, for when I was making the... In the video about Pedro Cashin and his comments in the press conference after that game, and you still see a lot of um, build-up plays, pretty erratic. It's not doesn't really seem to be very well coordinated. Uh, a lot of a lot of long balls to the flanks, a lot of guys hitting the channels and trying to get early balls into the box and stuff, which you know has its own merit, but maybe isn't the most sustainable. Uh, the state's most sustainable way of attacking and of certainly sustaining pressure anyway um, a lot of teams which don't particularly defend the counter-attack very well um, for one way or another either through the way they set up when they have possession of the ball they aren't really ready for what happens if they lose it or actually anything that they do in their in their defensive line while they have the ball um, again to mitigate against any direct balls so there's still certainly a wee bit to go But hopefully with uh, the way that the game's developing Especially in the English Premier League now as well We've got so many top class managers And guys are being quite innovative um, down south So hopefully some of that permeates um, into, into our game here
0: Matt, if we look at expected goals table so far this season, it's, it's, it's usually so. Expect you know Celtic is way out in front. Aberdeen, Rangers, Burnie, Motherwell on fifth, and then we have in sixth place Kilmarnock, who has the has the worst goal goal difference, but they have the sixth best expected goal difference. It's still minus two, but and this is also something that we saw with Ross County. So the two teams that have changed their managers, have both been. As we term it, underperforming in terms of expected goals, as in they create and maybe um, suppress chances um, for and against them. That should normally, maybe normally, at least over a bigger sample, uh, lead to more goals and less conceded goals than they have so far. And it's it's something we've seen before, Matt, isn't it? That some teams just don't have a, a good run and unlock your run, maybe, or there's maybe other reasons. Minus should get sacked, and then what happens, Matt?
4: Yeah, they usually regress back to the mean positively. So Kelly's a great example of it. Uh, you know, they obviously just sacked McCulloch, and as a Celtic fan, he's obvi- as a player, he he obviously wasn't someone I had a a lot of good feelings toward. But I heard things about how he's a progressive manager and and you know trying to do different stuff at Kelly. And as he said, their their expected goals, you know, maybe not great, but it's sixth best in the league so far. It's a negative 2.11. And, you know, you're probably going to see there, regardless of who they hire as their next manager, their, their form's going to improve just because they have the backing stats. Uh, the underlying stats say that they're a lot better than that last place team. And, you know, the the new manager will probably get credit for, you know, turning them around and stabilizing them when really the, the stats will say that they, they really weren't that bad. Uh, a good example of this happening is last year with Thistle. Uh, Part Thistle last year around December were, were bottom of the table. Uh, but when we looked at the expected goal table at that time, they, it's nearly identical to Kilmarnock. And they... they were the sixth best team and expected goals and they finished in the top 6 last year. So it's really it, it really is best if clubs start to look at this type of stuff because <laughs> Killy probably has to pay a payout to McCulloch now whereas if they just kind of, you know, kept with him, let him kind of work things out, let form kind of regress back to the mean, he would have been he would have looked like a genius. They wouldn't be having to pay two managers at once. So it's kind of a, a good example of how stats can really help a club n- not make bad decisions. And, and they're going to hire a new manager, and they'll probably improve under that manager.
0: And I- I'm glad you mentioned Fissel there as well, um, Max, we got a question from Martin Friel at Odge1983. In terms of thoughts on Partick's start to the season, um, have they been unlucky? Why their performances significantly poorer than last season? And I, I get mad in, in terms of as you said, there were as at this time Tissell, last season they were bottom of the league as well. But their expected goals, their underlying stats were actually quite good. At this point, they kind of yes. deserve to be where they are.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's not. It, there's no. No silver lining for Thistle thus far in the season. Now, one of the things I've been kind of been looking at is, uh, you know, you mentioned Motherwell, how they're in the top six. And and their backing stats back up their good performance, you know, before the season, I thought that they would maybe end up top six. Uh, But they haven't played Celtic yet, whereas Thistle has played Celtic. Thistle has played Rangers. Uh, I don't think Kilmarnock, I don't think, has played Rangers, or I mean, uh, played Celtic. So the stats kind of get skewed <laughs> once a team plays Celtic. Usually, Celtic kind of hands a, an expected goals beat down to a team that can that can knock them down the table in terms of uh, expected goal wise. So um, if if will their schedule might get a little easier coming up here soon, but so far they they kind of do deserve to be at the bottom. Um, but like last year, I can't imagine they'll do anything like fire Archibald or anything. Yeah. Like that I because mean, he was able to turn things around last year, so I'm assuming they'll give him time to do that this year.
0: Not only have Kamarnock faced Celtic this season, Matt, they've also faced a Celtic with Christopher Ayer in the starting lineup. So extra oh. tough. <laughs> Christopher Ayer who who beat Germany single handedly yesterday, three one. Under 21s with a uh, dislocated and, shoulder. Um, so and Martin <laughs> Oligard, who, who, you know,
4: isn't <laughs> as good as a 5th Division Peru player, but that's a, that's a whole nother that's story. That's a very
0: in-joke there, Matt. But, um, Dugie, in terms of the stats, we look at this, me and Matt looks at the stats, and we say, well, we predict, based on them, um, Kilmarnock will improve if the performances stay the same. Party Thistle, mm, they're a lot of trouble. How do you... <laughs> For a person who actually uses his eyes rather than us <laughs> in urge to just look at a spreadsheet, and those two teams specifically, how how do you see them this season and do you think that'll
3: bear out? Yeah, I mean I think both team Kamarnik um in particular, they do not have a good striker at all to say themselves. I mean there was an infamous clip that was posted I was doing the rounds on Twitter a couple of weeks ago of Boyd missing an absolute setter for Komarik and he's just screaming at the sky in frustration. So, I mean, ultimately, if your great chances are falling to a guy like that who's probably past his peak as a footballer and um, is low in confidence, then, yeah, you are going to struggle. And as for Partick Thistle, they lost Liam Lindsay over the summer and I'm a huge, huge, huge Liam Lindsay fan in addition to being a cracking defender for them he was also a huge threat from set pieces and that's how Thistle got a lot of goals last season so in terms of looking at their goals against the chances against they've got they've had to patch up their defence again um, and in addition it's a double whammy because they don't have his threat going forward so you'd assume that the defence will probably merge uh, what's the word Defense will probably improve over time um, as the players get to know each other, but attacking-wise, they still don't have his threat. Although they do have Blair Spittle now, who's a fantastic free kick taker, um, great at corners, great at set pieces in general. So maybe that will make up for Lindsay's absence. We'll see. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Chris Boyd because he's actually ninth in
0: expected goals, um, in in terms of you know. expected pies. Oh, it's it's off the chart belt. Uh, Just as your expected jokes. Um, Mm -hmm. There. Uh, (laughs) so. (laughs) I I think in terms of... You know, Alex, I I know you don't watch the the Premiership that much, uh, essentially, but in... Maybe a bit of a random question, but in terms of teams like Kilmarnock, particularly players, on an artificial pitch, now... Obviously, Norway, where I come from, has, a, you know, in terms of the last 20 years, that's the, 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 just the increase in artificial pitches in terms of every single small village has an artificial pitch. Now, they're, they're most derided, very much derided in, in Scotland in terms of maybe that's something to do with the quality. But in Norway, we, we see them in the last 20 years, we've produced players who are a lot quicker on the ball, maybe a lot more technical, and a lot of people say that's maybe down to the, the facilities these kids have grown up with on 20 years, because it's a flat surface, it's a quick surface. Mm-hmm. In terms of tacticals, tactical, anything or development of players as your coach, would the type of pitch you play on influence your, your tactics and how you maybe develop as a player, especially youth football?
2: I think it's a very interesting question. I think, maybe, I think there'd be maybe a, a slightly larger effect on youth football just because use players um, the surface when they play on a surface they're playing on it over their formative years uh, for such a long time so it's not unfeasible that a, that a player could only play in artificial pitches between the ages of four and 17 yeah. is that's not that's not out of the realms of possibility and those are obviously such important years for a, for players development I think the point they made there about um, about the pitch being always flat and always pretty fast, um, certainly does perhaps favour a certain type of player. And there'll be guys who've looked into this far more in depth than I have. Um, but like I said, you look at Norway as a case study, and the the players that they're producing now. You look at Iceland as well. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe we're not going. Maybe we, we haven't quite seen the full fruits of that labour yet. Um, but certainly when it comes to youth development, I think we are starting to see a slight shift in the type of player that is being successful at youth level. Uh, and maybe the maybe the surface has, has got a wee bit to do with that.
0: Matt, if if we jump over to individual stats in, in the Premiership this season now, both in terms of expected goals and expected assists, we have Rangers players on top.
4: Yeah, so uh, I mentioned... More else, earlier for uh, Rangers, the striker, he is currently highest expected goals in the league. And, you know, I think he's been really impressive in, in his play so far. Um, second is uh, Celtics old pal, Anthony Stokes. Mm. And uh, I, I know uh, Seth Dobson, friend of the uh, podcast, will be really excited to hear that. And then third is uh, Scott Sinclair. So I was looking at it when I was looking at this uh, this week, I noticed that Sinclair's expected goals were actually higher than his goals. So we might even be able to expect more goals from Sinclair in the future as a Celtic uh, fan. But uh, in terms of expected assists, and, and I hope I don't say his name wrong, uh, but for Rangers, the, the leader in the league is Ken Diaz. Is that, did I, did I get that? Candace, uh, yes. He's tops in of course. terms of expected goals for Rangers. And, and there was a lot of talk when Barry McKay went to uh, Nottingham Forest from Rangers, you know, who would replace him um, in terms of creating for Rangers. But uh, Candace has done really well to fill that void. And then, secondly, uh, I know we're going to talk about the Scottish national team, but second in expected assist is uh, McGinn um, from mm-hmm. Hibbs, who, you know, a lot of people wanted to see. In the Scottish national team, but unfortunately did not make the, the lineup either of those two games that did, saw Scotland not qualify for the uh, World Cup. Uh, in terms of Celtic, uh, the, the highest in terms of Celtics thus far is actually Kieran Tierney, who is uh, fifth in the league in expected assists. And I thought that was pretty interesting that uh, he's the highest Celtic player being a
0: fullback. And I, I'm glad you mentioned McGinn there as well, Matt, but I also wanted to point out that in terms of Morales, um, if you look at expected goals as a percentage of that team's total expected goals, so essentially, you know how much of attacking threat is going through one specific player. Marlowe's got almost forty percent of all Rangers' expected goals, which is quite a bit higher than, than the next one. So that's also somebody that is who's really much the focal point of their attack, but also you're putting a lot of, of faith in one player there if he's, he gets an injury and, and so what? It's not very spread out, whereas in, in, in Celtic, for example, Sinclair's got 22% of all the expected goals. Griffith's got 20, um, and so on. So yeah, it's, uh, interesting. But I, I, The mention of McGinn, so we obviously put together expected goals, expected assists, and expected, Christopher Baud secondary assists, which is essentially the pass that sets up the pass that sets up the shot. And third in that is John McGinn. He's got 5.22 in expected uh, X-Gas, which is, you know, quite ironic in this flat as well. But I think number five on that list is Ryan Christie, uh, Matt. So Ryan Christie is somebody who's had good numbers for Celtic last season, although he didn't have much time. His numbers for Aberdeen is continuing to be very good. And in terms of uh, a Scotland call up uh, Doogie uh, Ryan Christian and John McGinn is, is two players that are dominating stat-wise mm-hmm. in, in the Premiership do you think uh, David Moyes will let them play for Scotland David
3: Moyes <laughs> um, well, Jürgen
4: Klinsmann for Scotland oh,
3: <laughs> yes. thank you <laughs> uh, um, so out of the two John McGinn is probably a standout he's playing um, very consistently very regularly for Hibs As you say, he's creating a lot of of chances. And as you saw against Celtic, he's actually managing to chip in with a few finishes of his own from distance. So you start looking at the skill set of players. Um, We were talking earlier on today about finishers from a certain range and John McGinn certainly that one from about 25 yards who you can count on to be above average. Ryan Christie, on the other hand, he put in a few pretty good performances um, in the Europa League this season in the qualifiers for Aberdeen. made some... Amazing passes, um, but domestically when he's been good, he's been great. When he's been when he's not, he's been anonymous. He's been awful. So, I think that out of the two, McGinn's got a stronger case. But I think that Christie, he's, he's still quite young, isn't he? He's what like twenty two, twenty three years old. So he's still got a bit of time to find some consistency in his game. And if he gets that consistency, then yeah, for sure he'll be in the Scotland team. I mean, so wouldn't you want a player like Christine, like since Scotland doesn't have
4: basically a competitive fixture until the European qualifiers wouldn't now be the time for a kid like Christie, who's 22 to get caps, you know, and friendlies, whatever, to, to get experience with Scotland. And then when it's time to play serious games, when he's 24, 25, right in his prime years, he's ready he's experienced, because that's kind of what they're saying, what they, uh, I think people like Strachan were saying about McGinn and um, McGregor is, oh, they're great players, but they don't have this experience with Scotland. You know, you don't have anything to play for for the next what, basically two years for for uh, Scotland. Play these kids now in the Scottish national team. Let them get experience, and then that when when the games count, they'll they'll be ready to uh, go. They'll have that experience.
1: The problem with that from Strachan as well was quite simply that the uh, players with experience for Scotland have experience of being shite. <laughs> so that was his big logic flaw, frankly. But uh, um, carry on.
0: I, I'm glad you mentioned distance and, and, and John McGuin there because <laughs> me, me and Matt get a lot of stats and some would say most of it useless, but what we can do with the stats from Stradibit is look at the average distance from which a player... Uh, shoots from and, and John McGinn actually he's, he's got 14 attempts if you take away any direct free kicks as well um, 79% of them is from outside uh, the penalty area um, his average distance is just over 24 yards in terms of all from goals from all his shots and when you want to have a guest who by far by far has the longest distance per attempt on goal uh, uh, against goal in the premiership this season I think I know this I only go to Is that Ali Crawford? It's Ali Crawford, who's 29.9 yards is his average distance from goal. He's got about 21 of them, uh, and somebody honestly needs to have a word with Ali. Um, Ali Ali Coutinho. Yeah, Ali Coutinho. (laughs) We we put this out on our Twitter feed uh, on X90 Cynics saying... Alec Crawford's exceptionally uh, long distance shooter. Hamilton Aki's official Twitter account retweeted it, maybe not understanding that it was actually a criticism of uh, Alec Crawford, but it took that away pretty pretty quickly.
1: He, he feels the danger zone.
0: He's also got the, the, the second uh, lowest expected goals per attempt, 0.04, uh, which means that he takes a lot of. Really silly shots. Uh, who's, who's lower than that then? If he's, it, it is a Celtic player, but we'll forgive him because it's uh, Josu Simonovich uh, who uh, has better. six attempts to goal. Weak. And uh, yeah, fair. number three is actually uh, Graham Dorans, who also okay. likes uh, a long shot. Carantini number four, highest expected goals per attempt. We mentioned in Morelli it, it, it's Morellis but zero point two six. So every shot Morellis takes has a statistical probability of one in four. Uh, it goes in one in four times. So that's a few useless stats for you in terms of Yeah uh, it's, We touch upon Scotland there as well uh, Now the has 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 gone today, but I think don't think we can go away from this uh, genetics thing just yet because it was there is quite frankly oh. hilarious and um, I mean, Alex, it kind of leads... I mean, you're a youth coach, um, and you're obviously very, uh, you know, interested in in the tactical side of the games. Now, is this genetics thing saying we don't have big enough players? A lot of people say that's Scotland's actually issue because they, in the youth, and this is the accusation, in the youth football size, and is is preferred to, to skill... And it's all about the winning. Where it should about be about the development. So it's this not the single, the single way. I mean, when to say the most interesting a national coach can say. In terms of you should focus on strength over tactics yeah. or, or skill.
2: Well, I think a lot of people get sort of caught up in this size versus skill or skill versus size, or you know, oh, you're picking big players over skillful players. I don't think that. It's necessarily as clear-cut a um, a situation as, as maybe these people try to make out. Um, I've had some discussions with um, with guys guys that I speak to, and one of the points that was brought up was that if we look at if we, if we look at developing players, if we look at you know, developing players who have the most talent, then surely. However, you measure talent, surely physicality comes into it at some point. You know, if we take talent to be a measure of future performance, then surely physicality comes into it at some point. So I don't think it's something that should be ignored, um, especially as especially as the modern game sort of. Starts leaning more and more towards pressing and yeah. you know, the intensity of coverage and pressing and counter pressing and you know, running to support and running here, running there, running everywhere. Jurgen Klopp and guys like that guy who are just focusing heavily on sprints, on running all the time, being strong and challenging as well. Um, I think that you can't shy away from the fact that physicality is important, but it's not everything. It's it's not everything, and the fact is, is that Gordon Strachan, <laughs> he knows not only does he does he know his squad, but he picks he picks who plays. You know he he knows who is in his team. So if he knows that his team aren't you know vertically challenged, let's say, if he knows his team aren't aren't the biggest, then you know he's probably the only person who has you know the power and the ability the capability to. Um, to adjust his squad strategies and tactics to, to suit that.
0: I mean, Duke, it was striking somehow stumbling upon something here. Maybe he didn't mean it, but uh, as Alex alludes to, professional footballers at highest level are now athletes in every sense of the word. They're strong, they're quick, which they need to be because the game is so much faster. striking maybe focusing on height or size, but whereas, is, is there maybe a pointer that Scottish players is not physically quick enough, strong enough, and do they look after their bodies well enough throughout the youth system and when they turn professional?
3: Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one to say without getting some sort of big data and the diet of youth football players and whatnot. But a
0: database. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a good it. old
3: database. Um, however, I would say that it does. It, it just screams of excuses. There's nothing that Northern Ireland can do is Scotland shouldn't be, right hang on what am I trying to say here, anything that Northern Ireland does as a football nation, Scotland should be able to at least match in terms of the size of the population, our league's better than them They're, like there's no difference between the Northern Irish gene pool and the Scottish gene pool so if we're going, getting to that stage where we're moaning about our players being too short too weak or too big or whatever it might be then I'm sorry it's just nonsense it's just excuses uh, Matt as
0: someone who's not troubled by genetics in terms of you've, you've got a lot of them uh, in, in terms of yourself. <laughs> that's a, and uh, that's and that's a and, yeah. But I mean, uh, the United States of America has just uh, failed to qualify for World Cups for the first time since just 1986. Yeah. M- make sure yeah. he knows. I don't think the physicality of American players are, are the issue. What, what's the, the issues in, in, in America in terms of developing players? And is there any similarities with, with Scotland?
4: Well, uh, from a high level, it, it's really different Uh, soccer in america compared to europe and and other places in the world uh just from a sociological perspective soccer football in most of the rest of the world is kind of a a quote-unquote lower class sport where in the united states it's a middle class and upper class sport and um the example i always give of this is the there was recently a picture of uh dc united an mls team here their uh u13 team has uh the first child baron trump on their team so it's kind of a good example of just what type of sport soccer is here in, in terms of uh the fan base and the people that are playing it so it it really has struggled to to get outside that middle class you know pool of talent basically to, to find players so you know the joke is here you know what if lebron james played soccer and, and obviously that's not you know a a like for like example you can't just put someone like that but if lebron james was from the age of 12 playing soccer instead of playing basketball you know that might be something and u.s soccer really right now is just more or youth soccer in the u.s is really more to make money rather than to find the best players and and there's some changes that are being made they're making that better but uh, and that's not really all to blame for why the u.s didn't didn't make the world cup you know it's not because, you know, you have to pay 200 bucks to play travel soccer in the U.S. that they lost to Trinidad and Tobago. Why they lost to Trinidad and Tobago is Euron Klinsman lost a lot of winnable games early in the campaign, got fired, and then they hi- they hired Bruce Arena, who's basically a-, a football dinosaur, and said, all right, Bruce, you know, do what you did in 2002. Well, it's not 2002 anymore. He- Bruce still thinks it's 2002, you know, still thinks – he should do the same things he did then um, and he couldn't do it so it, they they deserve exactly what they get so, so my, in terms and, and, of not making the World Cup but it, US soccer just has a lot of problems from top to bottom that they need to solve and, and you know they're going to have four years to do it because they don't even have a tournament like the Euros where it'll be competitive fixtures so the next competitive fixtures I think I saw on Twitter for US soccer is 600 days away basically
0: so, so by having a coach, Matt, that, that thought it was 2008, Scotland was actually quite progressive in, 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 in coaching <laughs> terms, which is good. But, Matt, <laughs> David Moyes is still available for a few more days, so that's somebody you might want to get over to America as well. Do-
4: if Scotland snatch him up first, or maybe unless uh,
0: unless they go with
4: old Malky McKay.
0: Hey, two, two similar guys in, in a lot of way, I, I, I would say there. Um, Doogie, if... In terms of the players Scotland has available now, and there's a lot of talk about a generational generational shift as well, but from the players you, you have available, and I'll come to you to, uh, on this as well, Alex, who, who would you choose specifically, but how would you choose to set up Scotland tactically, both in terms of the players to have, what would be more effective, and, sub-question, um, would you look at trying to limit the amount of teams that you'd pick players from, for example we talked a lot about Celtic Scottish um, players and there's quite a few of them now would that something you would specifically focus on in trying to recreate what they do domestically on the international stage?
3: Yeah absolutely I think that Brendan Rodgers Celtic are a fantastic model for a team, for a national team as well um, and you've got all most of the Celtic team is Scottish isn't it you would say so Um yeah, Gordon and Goals And then Brown, Armstrong, McGregor, Forrest McGriffiths. Yeah, it makes sense to keep all these guys together How long do national managers get with their team? A year, about four weeks if they're lucky So it makes sense to have guys who know each other's game inside out And it's much easier to adapt a few players to Celtic style of play Than it is to reinvent the wheel every two or three years So, yeah, I would say Pick a lot of Celtic players on merit, of course um, but yeah, try and keep everything as similar as you can for them. Alex, true, true. Your Russian mum—you're the only one, of The the
0: three nationalities here, or oh, four, if you count the Russian that actually is going to the World Cup uh, next by year. By default,
2: though, yeah, uh, and they, they, yeah. They, tough
0: qualifying. They, uh, they by default must. Be, they did a lot of be, hard uh, work in buying those votes Matt, so don't don't go there. But um, <laughs> that's allegedly bad. <about. laughs> um, <laughs> we'll but, get the lawyers out. <laughs> yeah. But in in terms of how would you essentially if, if you as Stugi says if you're an international coach you've got very limited time together with your players tactically the accusation has been that you maybe then focus on the defensive in a tournament because that's easier to get on acceptable level in a shorter time do you agree with that or essentially the same question to you how would you set up Scotland now
2: um, I think that I think that there's maybe some some element of truth to that. Um, I think that when you look at organizing uh, a, a defensive unit, well, it is, it's it's organizing, isn't it? It's, well, it's following principles. It's following, pretty set ideas. If he does this, you do that, and we all, we all move together and we coordinate and we make sure that we're um, that our timing is good and that we're precise in our movements, all this type of thing. I think that. I think Doug alluded to it earlier. One of the things that greatly helps is having a, a core of players who play at the same team. So take, if you take Russia, for example, um, if we look back to maybe happier times, uh, maybe 2008. Um, again, there's a, a core there of, of Zenit and Petersburg players. There's yeah. a core there of, um, I think think there was anyway, the core of CSK Moscow players there as well. And if you have those guys who already have strong communication with each other and who understand each other's game, with those guys as well they'd played with, together in the national team for, for a while as well. So if you have that communication already already embedded, then it certainly makes, certainly makes a lot of the process far easier. They obviously translate that to Scotland and again, you look at the teams that we can really do that with. And Celtic is at the moment Celtic is the only one where we can really say, right, okay, here's four, five, six players. Let's put them together. Let's um because they all know each other's game, they play to each other regularly. Um so yeah, they're maybe at the moment the only team that we can really do that with but we're seeing um we're seeing good talent at other clubs around around the country. At, Aberdeen Guys like Well in the past There was Ryan Jack And Graham Shinney And Kenny McLean Guys who were Maybe overlooked um, For one reason or another Ryan Christie There now as well Obviously on loan Um, Hibs Have John McGinn Who probably well I think he made Did he make the last squad Yeah he made the last squad It didn't feature Um, Again he'll Go on to He should Certainly go on to To have a have an international career of some sort, anyway. Um, but yeah, but was time will really tell as to what other teams will sort of have a Scottish national contingent yeah. uh, that we can really sort of take um, take the most of.
0: Christopher Bell, before we end the pod, uh, if if anybody's still listening, who who knows? But qu- very quick fire: um, who should be the next Scotland manager? Who should be the next USA manager? We'll start with you as the sharpest wit.
1: Well, I, no, it's done. Um, of the names mentioned, David Moyes is probably the best. You would choose Moyes. I would. Um, no, what I would do is we're talking about having a Celtic core. Yeah, Kennedy. There you go. He can embed <laughs> the Celtic doctrine within the Scottish squad. Well, still working at Celtic Basically goes home With homework to Brendan Gets it checked <laughs> So, so <laughs> Wait What he also needs to do Is get some Brazilian centre-backs Get them over to Scotland Get them citizenship The Qatar we route, have yeah. nobody Right now our best centre-backs Are a left-back So John Kennedy for Scotland Who's who's taking over America? <sighs> nobody cares Okay, Wait, fair enough I'm sorry I'm sorry, Matt It doesn't matter Um bad in trump
0: <laughs> <laughs> soon, soon they'll have all the jobs uh <laughs> in america matt who's the next u.s coach who's the next scotland coach
4: uh i mean for the u.s there's a lot of people uh putting forth tab ramos who is uh the the u team coach for the u.s right now he's been in the system for a long time and and he was a, a former u.s player i'd like to see someone you know, maybe outside the box, someone like Caleb Porter, who's the manager at uh, MLS's Portland Timbers. He's won the MLS Cup with them before he was um, before he was at in the MLS. He was a manager at a university here, the University of Akron, which is right by me, and he brought their soccer program from basically nothing to winning national championships at and at a small school like Scott, uh, like not Scotland like Akron. That's pretty impressive. So he has he has a a good. He works well with uh, young kids, and as I said before, the U.S. has a lot of time to kill before their next competitive game, so I think they should do something similar to what I said. Scotland should do, play a lot of kids, figure out who's going to replace Clint Dempsey, who's going to replace Josie Alstor, for the love of God, who's going to replace Tim Howard because he's not a good keeper anymore. Um, So we got a lot of time, so we need someone who can find these kids, identify these kids, and and make these kids better. Uh, For Scotland... Bring him back, Ronnie Dyer. Bring him back to Scotland. He's coming home. <laughs> um, Doogie, <Okay>. con- <laughs> universally popular. Decision. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Just as bad as popular as Alex's uh, yeah. articles. Uh, Doogie, taking into considera- consideration that this has been the, the slowest quickfire round <laughs> probably yet. Uh, next Scotland manager? Next, next US Scotland manager?
3: You know, let's, for a US manager, this sounds like I'm talking shite, but I genuinely was going to say Caleb Porter as well. He's, Such a hipster. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I quite yeah, like the yeah, Portland yeah, yeah. Timbers. The thing they do after they score a goal is dead cool. Where they've got the big log and they'd right, quick fire. Scotland manager, no, the fucking worst. <laughs> them cutting the log. That is, I hate that so much. I, I like, I like Portland a lot, but they got to get rid of that. So cool. But yeah, no. Next Scotland manager. Let's go outside the box and get Paulo Sousa, former Ooh. Fiorentina, wolf, in Israel. Do you know what he understands positional play? Let's get him in. What's the worst that could happen,
2: Alex? I've been quite taken aback by that last suggestion there. That's uh, that. That it's not something I would have. I would have said straight away. And it's it's not going to happen, is it? It's <laughs> going to be David Moyes, isn't it? So, um, well, this is who should be. That'd be fun, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, be, it would be fun uh, for me, anyway. I don't. I don't know who else would have fun over the appointment of. Uh, a uh, young Portuguese manager for the <laughs> Scotland national team, but I, I would have a great deal of fun. Um, yeah, it's hard to look past David Moyes, I, I just don't I just don't see who else would would get McKay.
1: it. It's gonna be Mackay or or him.
2: Well, one one of the two, one of the two. So again, we'll we'll see we'll see what they what they bring, and. We'll probably have many more pods like this in the in the future. Well,
0: who knows after <laughs> this? But no, <laughs> absolutely. Um,
2: no, absolutely. Um, I mean,
0: Matt kind of stole my thunder. I was going to suggest running the dial for both because he, <laughs> <likes laughs> he, he, he likes joint. He likes to get away. Time, yeah. He likes to get away to to the sun a bit uh, and then enjoy the lifestyle of uh, of California. And he, you know, again, universally loved guy. Uh, Kobe Lasson. Bryant.
1: If he'd been a football manager since he was young, do <laughs> you think he could have? Who? Kobe Bryant.
4: Kobe Bryant? <laughs> Not Kobe is that what you meant to say? No.
0: Yeah, that was it. <laughs> this is just about expected jokes regressing yeah. to, to do the meme <laughs> <laughs> um, Christoph, about
1: if, if people would like to hear more about the 90 Minute Cynics, where, where do they find us? Uh, on Twitter, at 90 Minute Cynic. Um, sometimes on Facebook, search for 90 Minute Cynic. Um, speaker, the 90 Minute Cynic. Uh, iTunes, Instagram. Bebo. normal service <laughs> resumes uh, next nice week face. with uh, proper proper football chat proper, proper football men chat. we'll be headbutting each other, we'll be drinking pints, it'll be all very manly absolutely
0: remember that uh, our bi-monthly magazine, the supplement, is coming out at the end of October uh, <laughs> as well, at 90MinuteCynic and Nine-Minute-Cynic. If, if Keith McGinty finds the time, it will come out as a downloadable magazine at the same time, that is free Premium content about Scottish football. Doogie, where can people find you?
3: Um, at my flat, if you want. I Oh, you're welcome. To Which come is on for in a cup party. Of tea. Yeah, yeah, I'm just the, by the three judges. A so so. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> <Yeah>. problem? <laughs> um, I suppose you can look me up on Facebook or whatever. No, but mostly you'll find me on Twitter at Doogie right. I actually
0: followed. Do get on, on Facebook And let me tell you mm. It's quite a ride <laughs> um, Alex um, I don't think a lot of people Especially Celtic fans Want to know about you no, Or know to find you But at the 10 space At,
2: at the 10 space That's all letters
0: um, And when is the next article On Spearsmaalfunk coming, coming out
2: um, I haven't got anything planned But maybe Maybe something in the next In the next month or so If I'm, if I'm free and If you dare If I dare really yeah. is, is the real question there A the real question I, have to, I might have to uh, regress to, to Rosenborg. Maybe I think they're playing Zenith Saint Petersburg Ooh, next, next don't Thursday.
0: You, uh, there, there'll be a Norwegian stat podcast very, yeah, very yeah. soon. Yeah. Matt Ryan, I pronounced your name correctly twice this time, I think. Where, where can people find yeah. you? V- various places they can find you on the internet.
4: Yeah, so if they just want Scottish football stats, they can follow me at The Backpass Rule. Uh, the website is thebackpassrule.com. If they want to see me... Uh, cheer about the Dayton Flyers basketball team and the Cleveland Cavaliers basketball team and tell Atlantic 10 referees that they're cheats, they can follow me at Matt Ryan 86 on Twitter.
0: Thank you very much, Matt. That is uh, a wrap from me, uh, Christian Wolf at uh, a hell of a beating and uh, thank you very much and uh, go Yankees!
4: Fuck you.